welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. Well, amen. Thank you so much, but more than anything else, praise the one who paid my debt. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 10, and we've been walking through a sermon series called Against All Odds over the last few weeks and, and months. And um, if you spent time here for any length of time, you know that we usually pick a book and we just go verse by verse, um, letter by letter, all the way through that book and just expose what God's Word says. And so that's what we're going to continue to do today as we pick up where we left off from last week. Now, we're going to spend time in the passage really going back through what these Israelites and Hebrews were experiencing at this moment. Moment. But what we find as uh, here in chapter 10 at the end of ver- chapter 9 is they were left with a decision to make. Now, w- again, we're going to spend some time in that in just a moment. But the decision that they were left to make was whether or not they were going to renew their covenant with God. And for them, they had heard the word preached. They had accomplished a great task in rebuilding the wall in 52 days. But then over the last few chapters, they had heard the word of God preached. They were convicted over their sins. They responded to it in obedience and began to walk in obedience. And over the course of about 24 days, beginning in chapter eight, all the way up to this point, they were just spending time over and over and over and over again in God's word. And here, what we're going to find in chapter 10 is the moment when they just basically make the decision to to renew their covenant with God. Now, it reminds me of a story of, uh, of a, a man uh, who became a husband. He was a very wealth, wealthy man, had no need for anything. He was a good man, faithful man, honest man, uh, very loving and kind man. And uh, he had just everything he could ever need. But one day he saw this beautiful woman and, and fell in love with her and began to court her and proposed to her. And then um, on that one special day, they entered into the bond of marriage. And so this man, uh, for all you guys, hopefully you remember that moment in your life, all these married men in the moment where, where she took your, uh, just really took you captive, grabbed your attention and just changed everything for you. And so for this man, he was madly in love and she was as well. But in their marriage, I mean, she loved his person. She loved who he was, but she also was extremely blessed because of all of his resources. I mean, anything she could ever imagine uh, that she would need or she would want, she had because he was the most wealthy man there was. And then over the course of their life together, he always met her with kindness, always gave her forgiveness, always met her with love and was just honest and true through their entire marriage. And for the you know, first year, first two years, they were just in that honeymoon stage where they were just everything, just, you know, they'd look at each other across the room and just, she'd hand him the remote and he would just, I love you, you know, stuff like that, just, just bliss. But over some time, I don't know why the remote thing that got all of us laughing, but over some time, he began to see her, her begin to drift. And it, and it started with just her moving down on the couch a little bit, just a few inches. And then it continued with, it seemed like she didn't want to talk to him as much. And they, start, they started losing conversation. And over the course of time, he began to see her eyes shift off of him and onto someone else. And the story goes that this woman ended up walking out on him. She left her love for another man and she cheated on him. And in her sin, she just really ruined their marriage and ruined her life. Well, they were separated for quite some time and she began to reflect on all the decisions she made and she began to think like, why did I do that? Why did I 
Why did I allow my, my focus to, to drift off my husband onto someone else? Why did I allow my, my flesh to pull me a different way? And, and truly through her separation from him, she just began to realize that she sinned and she messed up and she's the one that ruined it. Well, one day after a time of separation, she picks up her phone and she sees her husband's number calling her. Now imagine that phone call. She, she understands she messed it up. She understands that he was a kind man, that he was a wealthy man. He was good to her. He was loving. He was faithful. He did everything right. So she picks up the phone. She hears his voice meeting her with love and compassion, meeting her with kindness and forgiveness. And she hears him begin to ask a question. And he says to her over the phone, he says, I was wondering if you would. And then she just stopped him right there. She said, I know what you're about to say. I know you're about to say, I was, you're wondering if I'll sign divorce papers. Look, I, I messed everything up. I messed our entire life up. It was my fault. It wasn't yours. I get it. I get your calling to try to separate from me forever. You deserve so much better. And he just said, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's not why I'm calling. My question to you is I was wondering if you would like to renew your vows with me because I still love you. I love you with a deep love that doesn't matter what you've done. I, I, I will pay whatever cost. I will pay whatever price. I will dress you in white and we will renew this covenant together and live happily ever after. You see that woman, she had a decision to make over that phone. And just like her, these Israelites and these Hebrews, they've come together and they've been reminded of God's great love for them. They've been reminded that even though they've sinned and even though after they walked through a Red Sea and they, they began to plain, God was still faithful and good and merciful. They were reminded that even though they did what was right in their own eyes in past generations, they were reminded that God is good and faithful and merciful. And so now they're at this point where God's shown them their sin. He's shown them the mistakes they've made, but then he still meets them with his mercy. And he, he says that I still have a plan for your life. And now they have this decision to make on whether or not they're just gonna walk away forever or renew their covenant with a holy and a good God. Now tonight, it all, or this morning, it all culminates in Nehemiah chapter 10. And we see that the word's been preached and read to them. They've walked in obedience. But now we see at the end of chapter nine, and through chapter 10, that they're going to respond by renewing their covenant with God. So I want to ask if you would, anybody that's willing and able to stand to your feet in honor and reverence of God's holy and inspired and infallible word. And what we're going to do is we're going to read in chapter 9, verse 38, thinking about this renewing of the covenant with God. We're going to read that and then we're going to skip down to verse 28 because there's 84 Hebrew names in verses 1 through 27 and I just don't feel like being made into a meme this morning. So we're just going like, to let those stay there. And if you'd like to memorize that, you can. But God's word says in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, it says, And because of all of this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. So then it goes into the names that made the covenant, that recorded the covenant, and they just signed on the dotted line. All 84 of these guys' names said, we're gonna follow this. We're gonna live on this word. We're gonna follow God. We're gonna love God first. And then it says down there in verse 28 in chapter 10, and the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands under the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they clave unto their brethren, their nobles, and listen to this, they entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law. 
which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. And then down there in verse 30, we're gonna read it because I, want, I think it's all important, but they list out the things that they were gonna do, the stipulations of this covenant. It says in verse 30, and, they, and that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy of it or buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day. And that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So they say in verse 30, we're not going to give our daughters to marry their men and we're not going to give our, our men to marry their daughters. And then they're even going to uh, not buy on the Sabbath day and they're going to release debts on the seventh year. And that was a part of God's law. It keeps going down there uh, in verse 34. And we cast the lots among the priests, the Levites and the people for the wood offering to bring it to the house of our God after the houses of our fathers at times appointed year by year to burn upon the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law and to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of all trees year by year unto the house of the Lord. They say, we're gonna tithe. We're gonna give to God what he deserves first. It's all his anyway, so we're gonna tithe. Then it gets in verse 36 and it says, also the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle as it's written in the law. And the firstling, firstlings of the herds and of our flocks to bring to the house of our God under the priests that minister in the house of our God and that we should bring the first fruits of the dough and our offerings and the fruit of all manner of trees of wine and of oil under the priest and to the chambers of the house of our God and the tithes of our grounds to the Levites that the same Levites might have the tithes in all the cities of our tillage. And the priest of the son of Aaron shall be with the Levites and the Levites shall, will take the tithes and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes into the house of our God to the chambers, into the treasure house. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn and of the new wine and the oil under the chambers where are the vessels in the sanctuary and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers. And listen to this. And we will not forsake the house of our God. Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Father, we know that your word doesn't return void. And God, we know that you are more interested in building a people and building your kingdom and building a church than anything else. So God, I pray that we would be receptive to your words. And God, I admit that through even my greatest words, I, I fail in tr truly communicating how great your love is for us. So God, I need you to speak. So Lord, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross, that Jesus would be magnified, and that we would just do business with you as we renew and focus on a renewed covenant with God. So Lord, Lord, please speak in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Renewing this covenant with God. These Israelites, they were faced with a decision. As, as we read, they decided to faithfully renew this covenant with the Lord. They, as they look back over the course of the, the history of the Hebrews, they look back and they see a people that were close with the Lord and then lose leadership and they turn and they do, do the things that were right in their own eyes and they fell away from God and they see God restore and they see their sin lead them away from God and they see this roller coaster of, of a lifestyle when really God is just after their obedience and so they simply say, Lord, we want to be a people that lead our families, that lead this nation in your truth in your word, and we want to see you do a good work. 
So here in this passage, their decision was to renew the covenant with their God. Now this morning, as we look at their renewed covenant, we're gonna notice three things about it. And, and there's a lot of practical things that we can pull for, from this to our own personal life. But the first thing that I really want you to notice in this is the solidarity of this covenant, the solidarity of it. Now at this point, we read, or we actually skipped over this part, but in verses one through 27, we noticed that these Hebrews, that there were 84 men of the priests and the Levites and the princes and the noble men that came together and they signed this document just to say, hey, we're, we're united. We're gonna stand on what God's word says. And no matter what other people say, we're united in this. But more than that, what's so awesome is that yes, these men are the ones that signed the dotted line, but the women and the children were all in agreement. So it was like they signed the line, but everybody else submitted to what the word said too. And so there's this incredible work of God unifying his people when the word was beginning to be preached. So they come together and it says in verse 38 in chapter nine, and because of all the things that they heard, because they were reminded of how good God had been and how faithful he was, but then how messed up we were and they were as a people, they come together and they say, the only thing we can do is just take this step of obedience and renew our relationship with the Lord. Now, as they come together in solidarity, there's a few things that we can see in this. And the first I want you to, I just want you to remember is notice the events that led up to this covenant or this renewal. Notice these events. Now, now we've spent a lot of time in the first seven chapters of this book, but you know that God stirred in Nehemiah's heart. And as he stirred in Nehemiah's heart, Nehemiah wasn't even living in Israel, but Nehemiah had a burden for God's people. So he led a group of people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls there in Jerusalem. There's never a good time to actually drink water in a sermon, but I had to do it. So Nehemiah, he was stirred and they go back and they faced opposition and they, they uh, had rivals come on. And we, we talked about guys like Samballot who threatened them and, and they saw this supernatural work of God for them to complete this building project in 52 days. They built the walls around the city. They hung the gates and they were finished. And then here we are in chapters eight, nine, and 10. And this is not just a coincidence, y'all. This was a supernatural work that they were able to accomplish in supernatural strength so that God would supernaturally re lead them to read his supernatural words. And so here, these events, what we find is God gave them the strength to, to build up this wall. And then we find that in chapter eight, on the seventh month, on the first day of that month, they got the book out and they began to read. Now, all these people are attentive. They hear them begin to read God's word. And what happened is they hear it and they begin to get convicted. On that first day, they, they understand that they were entering into a feast of trumpets and they understood that in that month and maybe even for the first time, they're realizing as the word is read to them that, oh my goodness, in just 10 days, we have the day of atonement for our nation to be, to be uh, purged of sins. And, and they're, they're hearing all this stuff. They're hearing all of God's word preached and their heart is stirred. They're convicted over their sins and they're led to this moment of brokenness. And we spent a lot of time as we talked about chapters eight, nine, and 10 of, of them being led to this moment. But I, I want you to understand that yes, the work of rebuilding the wall was important, but I've mentioned this already. And we've said this many times in this sermon series, the most important thing that happened in this book was God be, rebuilding his people. That's the most important thing. 
And yes, we can talk about the adversaries. And yes, we can talk about how they had uh, a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other hand. But here's the event. Can I give you the event that led them to this renewal? Can I give it to you? It was them spending time in God's word. That's what led them to life change. That's what led them to say, oh my goodness, I am in sin. Oh my goodness, I I have made a mess of my life. Oh my goodness, I can't fix it for myself. But then it's also what led them to remember that God is faithful. God is loving. God is good. And so for them, they were in God's word. And because they were in God's word, that was the event that led them to this decision to renew themselves. There was a survey done by a group called Back to the Bible a few years back, and they surveyed 400,000 people in this study. Now, listen to this. They asked people about their reading, how much they spend, how much time they spend in God's word, and they found that folks that spend one to three days a week reading God's word, studying God's word, there was no true change in their life. They were good people, but no, no drastic change. But then listen to this. For those that spent four or more days in their weeks reading God's word and spending time studying it, they found that they were 407 times more likely to memorize scripture. They also found that they were 228% more likely to share their faith in their Lord Jesus Christ. Those that spend time in God's word, things change. When you spend time in God's word on a daily basis, your days change. When you spend time in God's word on a weekly basis, your weeks change. And sometimes like even just that right there, like sharing Jesus and being bold in your faith, it's not that you need to be more bold or more confident. You just need to spend time in God's word and let him be more in you so that he can live his life through you. That same study, listen to this. They found that People that spent four to six to seven days in the word every single week, they were 59% less likely to view pornography and they were 30% less likely to struggle with anxiety and loneliness. When we spend time in God's word, things change. When we, when we, let, when we let this right here be the master and the Lord of our lives and we let Jesus Lord over our life, you know what happens? We begin to change. And so many times we get it out of order. We hear a convicting message on Sunday about prayer. We hear a convicting message in a Bible study about sharing our faith. And the first thing we do is we say, I gotta go, I gotta make a list and and I gotta check it twice. And I gotta go and share my faith with people that might be naughty or nice. We gotta do all this stuff. And and we, we, we think it's about doing, but instead if we just abide, just abide right here, things change. It's not about doing, it's about being and then becoming and that will change your behavior. So for us, we see the events that led up to this this moment of renewal is they had just been in God's word. For 24 days, they were having the word preached to them. They were having the word explained to them. And what they were doing is they were hearing the word and they were obeying the word. Can I tell you the recipe for success in your life? It's hearing God's word and it's obeying God's word. Success is not money in the bank. Success is not the amount of friends you have on Facebook, which, I mean, that's your metric of success, bless you. It, success is not a career change. Success is not a big house. Success is not what you pull behind your truck. Success is not any of those things. Success is obedience to what God's word actually says. And here they are. Let me just imagine this. They heard God's word for 24 days that month, preached to them over and over and over again. They were spending time in God's word and they were like, you know, God's word is enough for me. And, and they come together in solidarity. There was not one of them that was sitting back thinking, no, I don't think this is the move we should make. Why? Because God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword 
and it pierces between bone and marrow. It was true. It was speaking to right where they were. So they had nothing else to do but just say, all right, let's come together. But you know what else this does in their solidarity? It's, it gives evidence of true repentance. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time here, but as they're listening to, to this in chapters 8, 9, and 10, they had a lot of regrets and remorse, Right? Y'all gonna have to talk to me this morning now. I know it's rainy outside. I know some of y'all are thinking like, this boy's already going long. We ain't even through the 0.1B yet and it's 11.15, but y'all gonna have to talk to me or I'll preach it at 1.30. You know, that don't bother me. <laughs> See, here's what happened. They hear God's word preached and it's as if God's holy finger just placed himself on that sin that they were dealing with. They're thinking about the past generations and their mistakes. They're thinking about their own mistakes and how they've been living a lifestyle of sin. And so in that, they hear it and there's an emotional experience tied to being convicted. Don't get me wrong. Like if God is convicting you of your sin, there's an emotional experience that will happen where you're gonna, you feel like your heart's being squeezed. There's gonna be some water flowing out of your eyes and it's okay to be emotional. But let me just tell you this. You can have regret without being repentant. You can. There's a lot of people that are in the church, even this morning, that when God begins to deal with you over the sin of gossip, you're regretful that you've done it, but that doesn't mean you've necessarily repented. There are people in this room that, that can, be, get, can be, be regretful over getting drunk or, or be regretful over their lust or be regretful over lying or be regretful or, or for sowing division or be regretful for whatever the unconfessed open sin you might be living in. And you can have a whole lot of regret. You can experience a whole lot of remorse. But what repentance is, is this staying there and saying before God, God, I have messed up. I'm going to do an about face on that lifestyle because I'm agreeing with you in my mind and in my heart. And I'm going to allow my actions to show that I am turning from that lifestyle and I'm turning back to you. Let me say one more thing about repentance too. True repentance is when you make yourself right with God and you make yourself right with other people. So if you're struggling with gossip, you really want to be repentant. Confess that as a sin to God and then go to the people you've gossiped with and gossiped about and ask them to forgive you too. I knew it was going to get quiet right there. Let me tell you something else too. This is just, I'm just going to throw that out there. If y'all start gossiping about me after what I just said, shame, I'm just kidding. Shame on I don't know where I was going with that. Here we go. I just know how to ruin a good message right there. But um, the evidence of this true repentance is that they come together in solidarity they showed true repentance, but then it had, this, it had this amazing effect on the people. It says in verse 38 that they came together. Because of all this, we make a sure covenant, and they write it. And I'm going to say this quickly, but I don't want you to miss this. As the men, the 84 men, signed their name on the dotted line, and they, they wrote down what this covenant was and the stipulations of it, I need you to understand that when we stand on this word, people aren't going to like it. We know that. This world's not going to like it. But when a church and a body of believers stand on this, it does a few things. One, it produces true unity, true unity. You can have uniformity without unity, but true unity is when we say, I'm going to walk in obedience to this. But it also, it also impacts and, and, and changes your family and even your future. They were thinking with the end in mind. These dads that signed these line, this dotted line, these grandparents that signed the dotted line, these, these wives that were agreeing with their husband, these children that were saying, you know what, that is the way to live. They weren't settling for just 
dabbling in sin a little bit because we've heard Mike Stone say this, what we permit, our kids will practice and their kids will prefer. And so for them, they understood that it was gonna end with them. And for them and their household, they were gonna serve the Lord. So for you as a parent, if your child is, is dabbling in something, don't allow it, man. Be the parent, stand up and tell them no. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. What this does is they were gonna be people that stand on the book and it created unity, created solidarity, but it also changed their families and it would eventually change the future. You see, for them, they came together, they, they renewed this covenant with the Lord and it, it was started with them being solidar- uh, solid and, and united in this, but then it also, I wanna just mention to you really quickly this, uh, a word about the sacredness of a covenant the sacredness of a covenant. And we've already mentioned in here that those that were engaged in this covenant were everybody. Um, we see the men that signed the names, their names on this line, but then down in verse 28, it says, and the rest of the people, the rest of the priests, the, the rest of the women, the rest of the children, they all agreed on this. So everybody in the nation, they agreed to step in to this union. They agreed to renew their covenant with God. But I wanna mention this to you real quick. A covenant is a sacred thing. It's sacred. And we see that in our marriages today. Like when, when you take the step to, to exchange vows with another person in holy matrimony, that is a sacred thing. But I also want to remind you that this is not just a written agreement where God, like he signed his name at the bottom and they had these two stipulations where they were going to agree on one thing. What the word covenant means, please understand this, is the word covenant means to cut, to kill, or to destroy. So those that engaged in this covenant, they also understood that this covenant was expensive. Something had to die. In order for them to ever be made right with God, something had to die. So they've they've heard the word of God preached. They've agreed that they've been in sin. They realize that God's way is better than their own way. And here they come. They come back together with tears in their eyes, with repentance in their hearts and with the Lord on their lips. And they say, we must do something to make ourselves right with God. We must offer this covenant. And they all understood that as they engaged in this together, it was going to cost them something. To be made right with God, it cost us something. As followers of Jesus, think about what Jesus said over in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That costs you something. When, when, when the Bible tells us to be generous and to, to walk in, in obedience by giving the, of the tithe and being generous with our giving, that costs us something. To serve somebody else, that costs us something. To walk in forgiveness. And truly, if you've been forgiven, you must forgive, amen? To forgive somebody. So make sure you're right with God. That costs you something. But here's here's what is so amazing about this covenant. Something had to die. But in Old Testament language, when you think about a covenant, when God made a covenant with his people, don't miss this part either. What God was doing is he was allowing a group of people to go from being an enemy of God to now a friend of God. So every time you see that set up in the Old Testament and even in the New God was making a way for his people to become a friend of God. Something had to die. Now for these people, what they did is they took an unblemished animal and they cut it in half 
And they made this agreement and it says down there in verses, uh, in verse 27 and 28, it talks about how they would enter into a curse and into an oath. What they were essentially saying when they cut this animal in half is they, is they were essentially saying, Lord, if we're, if we're disobedient, may what happened to this animal happen to me. So what they're saying is like that when, when God judges us, and please don't miss this either, when God judges us because of our sin or he gives us a consequence because of our sin, that doesn't mean that God is the problem. You and I are the problem. And so when they say this, they cut this animal and they say, God, allow this to happen to us, but we are gonna submit by oath and by this ceremony to submit ourselves to walk in your law. See, this is all a picture. And I... This is all a picture of the good news of Jesus. Some of you are sitting here and like, you're thinking, how in the world is this a picture of the good news of Jesus? Well, in the Old Testament, in order for people to be made right with God, something had to die. In order for the enemies of God to become friends of God, something had to die. And in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice unblemished, spotless lambs. And as they sacrificed it, it would make them right, the people right with God. Don't you see? Don't you see? That God with us, he set up a new covenant like first, second Corinthians three said, don't you see that God set up a new covenant with us? And what God does is he calls out to you and to me and he says, listen, I've already paid the cost. You think it costs you something? Think about how much it costs me. And then we sit back and we're like, wait a minute. What do you mean? What do you mean, God? Like, I know I'm an enemy of you. I know that I've sinned and I know that I've fallen short of your glory and God, I don't deserve to be made right with you. And he says, I know, but let me remind you, it costs me something. God, God, what did it cost you? Was it a cow? Was it a bull? No, it was the lamb. You see, over in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice these animals. But in the New Testament, John the Baptist said, as he saw Jesus walking down that hill to come into the Jordan River, he saw, he saw him and he said, behold the lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. And for them, they renewed their covenant with God. You know how we can renew our covenant with God? Not by going out and sacrificing animals, but by understanding that Jesus became the sacrifice for you. Jesus was cut for you. Jesus was pierced for your transgressions. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus was that sacrifice, that perfect lamb that came and was born of a virgin and he did no wrong and, and no, he never thought a wrong thing. No, he never disrespected his mom or dad. No, he never sinned and no, he couldn't sin. Jesus was tempted like you were. Yes, he did great miracles and yes, he opened up blind eyes. Yes, he allowed the deaf to hear. Yes, he walked on water. Yes, he raised the dead. Yes, he touched lepers and allowed their skin to be healed. But more than that, Jesus was the lamb. He was arrested. He prayed out to God and said, if there's any other way, let, the, let, your, let, it, let it be done. But then Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And what God communicates to us through that prayer is that the only way you can be made right with God, the only way that you can have a new covenant with him, the only way that you can ever be forgiven is through what his son Jesus did. What did he do? He prayed in the garden that night and sweat poured out of, his, out of his pores and he was arrested and Judas came and he kissed him on the cheek to identify that that was the one that they needed to arrest. He asked them who they were looking for and they said, Jesus. And he said, I am. And the soldiers fell back. <laughs> and yet Jesus still said, hey, that rope that you're holding in your hand, you can go and tie me up. I'm the maker of that rope, but I'm going to go willingly with, willingly with you. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He was quiet didn't say anything. And then Pilate, he thought maybe this will appease the people. So let's just tie him to a whipping post. 
Let's make him get on his hands and his knees. Let's take all of his clothes off and then we'll, we'll send a Roman soldier with the cat of nine tails and, and maybe that'll be enough cutting for this, for them to be made right. Maybe that'll be enough cutting for them to be satisfied in this. So Jesus being tied to that whipping post, don't, get, don't, don't miss this. He was tied to the whipping post and they took a cat of nine tails that had bone and glass and metal in it and they hit him in the back and it stuck to his skin and they ripped his skin off. And Jesus, as he's there, Pilate's thinking, maybe that's enough. But what did the people say? He said, crucify him, crucify him. And it was God's plan for Jesus to pick up his own cross to carry it to the top of the hill of Golgotha, to have nails, rusty nails driven through his hands and his feet for him to be asphyxiated on that cross. And what that means is that he was pushing up on the nerve endings in his feet to catch a breath. <gasps> In between the breath, he was saying things like this. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. Why did he do it? To make us right with God. At the end, he cried out one last time and he said, it is finished. Why? To, an, to establish a covenant for you and I to be right with God, for you to go from being an enemy of God to be forgiven, for you to go to be like Ephesians 2 said, a child of wrath and disobedience to now being a child of God, for you to be pulled out of darkness into his marvelous light, for you to go from being spiritually dead to now alive in Christ. What a picture this is, man. The sacredness of a covenant is us understanding that the blood of bulls and cows and sheep will not do anymore. But the blood of Jesus Christ is enough. For these people, they, they don't even realize it, but they're modeling what was gonna be true for us. And as they renewed this covenant with God, they come together with solidarity. They entered into this sacred moment where they slaughtered an animal to be made right with God and then it led to the last thing I want you to see, some stipulations in this covenant. Let me ask you something real fast, just real fast. Just, just you in your seat, where you're at. Number one, have you ever experienced the grace of Jesus Christ? I'm talking about truly been made right with God. And it doesn't, that doesn't come from you just sitting in a pew. It doesn't come from you taking notes. It comes when you recognize that you're a sinner, that you're lost, and there is nothing, nothing that you can do on your own to be made right with God. You can't follow all the 613 laws in the Old Testament. You can't do enough. Has there been a time where you've truly realized that and then turned to God to say, I believe in the cross. I believe in the resurrection. And I know that that is enough. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've done that? For these people, they, they, they're coming to this moment where they realize we must do something about all that we've heard. And so they take this step and they make this covenant. And what we've already read and what we've already found out is that 84 guys got together, signed the dotted line. And I'm gonna go quickly here, but I want you to see a couple of the stipulations or a few of the stipulations that they see. They said in their own covenant, number one, we're not gonna intermarry with pagan nations anymore. They said, we're gonna protect the home because that's important. That's a good word right there. We can spend a lot of time on that point right there. They said, we're not gonna, we're not gonna continue to allow our daughters to go and marry those pagan men. And we're not gonna allow uh, our sons to marry their pagan daughters. We're gonna, we're gonna allow our families to stand on the word and be men and women and Christians that follow after what the word says. Another thing that they, they, they stipulated, they said, we're gonna honor the commandments there in verse 31. Verses 32 through 33, they said, we're gonna contribute to the house of God. That's a good word right there. You see, without their contributions, they couldn't have temple worship. 
And without temple worship, you know how quickly they were gonna fall away from God? So here's what they say. We are gonna set up a covenant with God to where we protect our family based on what his word says, where we honor his commandments based on what they say. And we're gonna set up a covenant where we are generous in our giving, the last few verses in this passage, and we're gonna honor God by continuing in temple worship. Now, some of y'all are thinking like, no, do I need to write down and memorize verses 30 through 38 and just start giving wood? You want me to just start bringing like wood up here, Hayden, just lay it down here at the altar and just bring you a, let me bring you some dough. Like, I guess that's a bad joke, but you can leave dough in the offering plates, but that's a terrible, terrible joke. Um, here's what's important about this for you and me. They recognize and they, they write this covenant down that was very scripturally based. So for them not to give their daughters over to a pagan God, that was scripture, Deuteronomy 7. For them to continue in temple worship and to bring wood and to, to bring shekels and to tithe, that was for them to, to be able to, to meet the needs of the Levites. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. And what they were doing is they were responding by saying, Lord, we want to walk in newness with you, but we want our decisions to be made. Get this. We want our decisions to be made based on what the scriptures say. For you and I, as we leave here, maybe, maybe today, today's the day that you come to know Jesus Christ. Praise God. If that's it, we'd love to talk to you. I'm down here. Colin's down here. There's other men and women that would love to show you from God's word on how you can be made right with God. I want you to understand that God's, God's desire for you is for you just to love him. Jesus said that in Luke chapter 10. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbors as yourself. For others in this room, maybe you've, you've been saved, but maybe today God's just placed his finger on that area that you need to repent of and get right with God. Don't do this. Please hear this. Don't do this. Don't leave here either as a new Christian or, a, or even a believer thinking about this long list of things that you can and cannot do. Y'all catch me there? Yes, those things are important, but if we're just caught up on the things that we can do or can't do, we're gonna be paralyzed and not really ever to be effective in our walk with the Lord. It's kind of like this. I didn't tell this story in the first, uh, or this illustration, but I'm just gonna say it right quick. And again, we ain't, it's, not, it's not that late. We'll just keep going. I know I married Haley on August 12, 2016. Besides Jesus, she's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I'm, I'm not kidding. She's the most wonderful person I've ever met. She loves Jesus more than anybody I've ever met. She's a true woman of prayer. She's honest. She's truthful. She knows she's my Haley spirit. Y'all know all that stuff, right? I know, I know, that if I were to go on a date with somebody else, that would not be good for my marriage, right? And sure, that's a list, that's a, a thing, a, a, a list of things I don't want to do to, so I can protect my marriage. But you know what my focus is? My focus is not on a list of things I can and can't do. My focus is on loving her more and more each day. My focus is on spending time with her, talking with her, seeing the thing that she loves. Don't do the things that I know she doesn't like. I just wanna love her. And that's what God invites us into. You see, if we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we spend time in God's word, all those things, the things that we shouldn't do, they'll begin to become less and less appealing in our relationship with Jesus. Why? Because it's like the song says, turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. See, for them, as they laid this out and they laid out these stipulations, I, I, I want you to notice one thing real fast. 
As they laid down this covenant, it wasn't just a list of do's and don'ts. It was an act for them to be led by the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. Being led by the spirit of the law is when we say, Lord, I just want to love you more than anything else. And in in my love and devotion to you, I want to hear from you. And I want to talk to you through prayer. In my love for you and more than anybody else, I'm I'm going to share my faith with other people. When I love you more and I'm led by the spirit of the law instead of just the law itself, I'm going to act in obedience. Why? Because I love him. I love his word and I'm going to obey him. Y'all tracking with me here? All right, four of us. Good. I'm glad. So here's the thing. For some of you in the room, if you're going to get saved today, praise God for that. The next thing you do is just fall in love with Jesus. For some of you in the room, you spent last Sunday, the Sunday before that, the Sunday before that here in the altar, praying a prayer of repentance saying, God, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to miss another day in, in, in your word. I don't want to do that. And so God, here today, I'm going to just, I'm going to make sure I'm up at 4.30 tomorrow morning, spending time in your, God, in your word, or I'm not going to say those lies anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not going to gossip anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this, that, and the other. And you're putting all these stipulations on yourself where you're just focused on a list of do's and don'ts when God just simply says, I've already done it. The spirit of the law is when we say, like, if you're looking for a relationship and you, you know that the law set or the Bible says to not be unequally yoked, to go at the letter of the law is to say, well, this guy looks like a believer. I mean, he's got, he's got Christian in his bio, but then he thinks Hezekiah is a book in the Bible. He doesn't know the word of God if it hit him in the head with a, in a closet somewhere. Like, he doesn't know it. And so you settle for the letter of the law instead of what God offers you and maybe a godly husband that seeks him and loves him more than he can ever love you. For some in the room, like you, you think of things like this, you think in your Christian liberty, liberty, it's okay for you just to go out and drink. And what you'll say is you'll say things like, well, the Bible, the Bible just says don't get drunk. And, and that preacher's messing with my, my spiritual liberty. But then you forget that the spirit of the law is that Jesus says he will be your rest. So why would you ever look for rest somewhere else? Why would you look for something like in a liquid form to satisfy your soul when Jesus says, I am the water that never runs dry? See, when we submit ourselves and we say, God, I don't want, I don't want my family to look a certain way. I don't want this to do that. I, I, when we just simply say, Lord, I just want to love you more. I just want to love you more. God will lead you in a way where our eyes are truly fixed on Jesus. We look full in his wonderful face and all the other things just begin to grow strangely dim. Now for these guys here in Nehemiah chapter 10, they experienced this. Their stipulations is, is they, they walked out of here and they were full just of simply saying, God, we just want to focus in on you. And this morning we began this sermon with a story, a love story, really, where a husband called up a wife that walked out on him, that, that wronged him, that sinned against him. And he calls her up and where she's thinking, listen, I know you don't have anything to do with me ever again. He speaks up and he says, no, what I'm calling for is I want you to know I love you. I want you to know I care deeply for you. I want you to know that I'm willing to pay whatever cost there needs to be so that me and you can be right together. And here's what I'm calling to ask you is that can we renew our vows with each other? Would you, would you marry me again? Would you come back to me? Now that story is as simple as it may seem. Truthfully, you know what that story is about? It's about Jesus as the bridegroom and you as the bride. You know, for me and you, we are like that woman in the story who we are close to Jesus at times and then the things of this world grab our attention and we begin to fall away. And you know what Jesus constantly does? He calls us up and he says, I still love you. 
I paid the ultimate price. I will clean you up. I will dress you in white. I'll restore you. I will make you new. It doesn't mean that you're, you're, we're not getting a divorce. I'm not throwing you away. I want you. I want you to come back home. And you know, all we have to do is just simply say yes. How do we say yes to that? Call out to him in repentance and faith as believers and say, God, here I am again. I fell back into that sin, but right now I need you. Like, like your word says in 1 John 2, I need you to be my advocate, Jesus. I need you to just, to, just clean me up from my sins one more time. Can you do that? And you know what he's gonna say? Absolutely. See, there are people in this room that God has been placing his finger on a certain sin, gossip, lust, lying, division, whatever it might be. And what you need to understand is that Jesus is still calling you home. He's still calling you unto himself and he's not done with you. So how about this morning, renew your covenant with God, not by sacrificing your own animal, but going right back to the foot of the cross and saying, Jesus, I know that your blood and your work is absolutely enough. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wanna ask if you would just stand to your feet. We're gonna move into a time of a response and a time where you can just respond to however the Lord's leading you to. And, and today, if you're here and you know that today's the day I need to put, give my heart to Jesus and I need him to give me his life and I need to be forgiven of my sins. I'm gonna be down here. Colin's gonna be down here. Mason's gonna be down here. And we would love to show you from God's word how you can be saved. And as a matter of fact, there was somebody right after service that came up forward and, and he just gave his heart to Jesus and he was radically changed. And if that's you, we'd love to talk to you about that. But the truth is there's a bunch of people in this room. Do you know what the sin is? You know what it is. But what you need to do is you need to rest in the Savior and turn to him and allow him to clean you up. Will you renew that covenant today? Maybe you're here and you need to join up with our church or you need to take your next step in baptism or serve, whatever that might be. I wanna encourage you to just be obedient as we are just a group of people that come together in solidarity and understand that Jesus is the one that made the covenant for us. So Father, we pray that right now that you would speak to our hearts and if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, if there's anybody in here that's never been saved or, or that's just walking in unconfessed sin, God, we pray that today you'd meet them with your mercy and grace. You'd remind them that you love them and you clean them up. So God, please move in Jesus' name. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.